Revelation chapter 2. I'll read for you verses 8 through 11 as we look at the persecuted church, the church at Smyrna. This is the second of seven churches that Jesus Christ tells John to specifically write a letter to the angel, to the local pastor of that church, and have that pastor uh, have that pastor read this letter to the local assembly. So today is the persecuted church. Last week we looked at how we identified some key people and key places in Smyrna. We identified the angel as the pastor. We identified the city itself and also the church. And then Jesus gives this self designation where he said, I am the first and I am the last. I am he who, who had died and now I am he who has come back from the dead. And just like Smyrna, the, the city literally died for 300 years and out of the ashes the city was reborn. Jesus said, I have died and I have come from the grave. And also we looked at words of commendation. Last week we looked at how Jesus commended them for their works, for their tribulation, and for their poverty. I read just this morning, somebody said they were a penniless and a persecuted church, but what a prince of a church they were. And we today are so honored to be able to study them and to emulate them and learn from them. The city of Smyrna was arguably the most beautiful city in all of Asia Minor, located there on the, uh, right there on the coast, just a, a gorgeous city, but it also had just tons of gods and goddesses. And the very seat of emperor worship was there in Smyrna. And so if you did not give allegiance to the Caesar, if you did not bow down to his image, then you would, well, you would be persecuted and it could cost you your life. I thought about persecution some more this week, and I think about those in our world today. 160,000 every year are martyred, are put to death in places like Somalia, in places like North Korea, in places like the Middle East. But also, very, those very places where the church is being persecuted, it seems like their blood is the very seed of the church, and the church just begins to grow, and it becomes more and more powerful the more and more the enemy persecutes it. But what about America? You know, there is persecution in America. There are people just very, very frequently who are losing their lives for the cause of the gospel in the United States. I know you know this name, Rachel Scott, a few years ago at Columbine High School, a young deranged man put a gun to her face and said, do you believe in God? And she knew if she said yes, he would blow her brains out, and that is exactly what he did. When she said, yes, I believe, and he took her life. And this young actress named Lyric Beeson, she told her, uh, her live-in boyfriend, she said, listen, what we're doing, living together, she said, I can't do this anymore because I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and he executed her. He killed her. And a reporter said, well, I don't really understand what happened. The only thing I know is she got religious. You know, she got religion, he didn't like it, and he took her life. I tell you, the devil is alive, and he is well, and he will do everything in his power to discourage, to distract, to persecute, to hurt uh, the people of God. Just this morning, I was rebuked, thoroughly rebuked in my face, and I was called a false prophet, and I cannot stand you, and I will not be in this church, and he turned around and, and took off. And I was just like, and I just want y'all to know, I'm still a little phased by that. I'm a little bit rattled by that. And I was telling my wife a moment ago, that, that those kind of things get on, on me. And so I, I just got back in his face and rebuked him. And I don't know if I should have done that or not. And I'm still kind of processing that. But I'm, 
I'm just a little shook by it, and I appreciate our security. Guys, thank you all so much. You watch after me, and Chris, thank you for stepping in and moving in. And it's just, um, I'm like, really? I'm preaching on this text, and a day of all, you say, y'all are looking at me like, that didn't happen. You just made that up. No, I didn't. I didn't. I can't make stuff up like that. It's, it's real, and I'm, I'm a little frazzled by it. So why don't we, why don't we pray, and uh, uh, I just got to get ready. I just got to get in a good, in a good place to, to pray. So, hey, can we turn this microphone up, guys? Can we do that? Because I want to ask somebody to pray for me. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, preacher, you want to pray for me? Just ask God to, okay. Preacher, come on over here and just take this mic up here at the front row and just pray for God to calm us and get us ready to preach his word. Can we bring that mic up? Great. Preacher, it's ready. Just start praying. Father, very few people in this building understand what it means to stand before a pulpit in a congregation and not exactly know where to go. And so I pray for my brother and my pastor. I pray for a, a comforting and an anointing Amen. upon his life. I pray, Father, that you would take him and bring, take everything out of his heart and mind that would be best left unsaid. And I pray that you'd bring to his heart and mind exactly what we need to hear. Sure, there's persecution in the world. It's taking place everywhere, not just around the world, but here in Austin. But we thank you that you hover around us and have angels that are caring for us. And so in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you're going to meet our pastor's needs in every respect. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, preacher. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, so Revelation chapter 2, let's begin reading. We'll look at verse 8. We looked at 8 and 9 last week, but I want us to really focus on verses 10 and 11. And aren't you glad the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? Thank you, Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last. And notice the way Jesus describes himself, who was dead and now have come to life. I know your works, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, and they are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. And look at verses 10 and 11, the words of command and the words of promise that Jesus gives us. Verse 10, he says, do not fear. In fact, he says, it's the present tense command, it's the imperative command. It literally, a good command, a good translation is stop fearing any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. That's command number two. And it's also an imperative command in the Greek New Testament. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The third command Jesus gives to the church at Smyrna in verse 11. He says, he who has an ear, let him here. It's an imperative command, akuo. It's where we get the word acoustics. He said, listen, I give you the command to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, thank you for that song, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And so today we're going to look at the commands of Christ and the promises 
that God gives us through His Word. And by the way, the very promises and commands that Jesus gave to the church at Smyrna then, because this is the timeless, eternal Word of God, and the same Holy Spirit who inspired it then can illuminate us today, and we can take these same words of promise, these same words of command, and we can directly apply them to us and to our lives. In fact, I know I'm speaking to some of you today that you really need a word of affirmation. You need a word of command and promise and blessing from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I just say to you today, amidst the, the distractions and so forth, I am so glad that you're here. I really believe that God has you here today because He wants to speak a personal, private, powerful, contextual word just to you. So let's look at these commands. Command number one, He said, stop being afraid and be faithful. Like I said earlier, it, this, a good way to translate it, this present imperative with this, uh, with this uh, word in the Greek New Testament, may, it's the strongest way you can make a negation. The conjunction may, whenever it is coupled with a present imperative, a good translation is stop. It's like the king of glory, the, the head of the church is looking there at that pastor there in Smyrna, and he's looking to those believers, and he said, I'm telling you, stop being afraid. It reminds me of something else Jesus said in Matthew when He said, do not fear the person who can kill only the body, but fear the person who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. Reminds me of another verse where Jesus said to the disciples, He said in Matthew 14, 27, remember this, when He is on the boat there on the Sea of Galilee and they are fearful for their very lives. I mean, they think He is a, and the Greek word there, phantos. They think He's some phantom. They think He's some ghost. And Jesus walks out on the water, and He looks at those trembling, terrified disciples, and He said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, and the Greek is ergo I me, I am, and do not be afraid. A few years ago, I was um, driving down the road, and true story, I was in the state of Virginia, and I was going to uh, this, this church to preach, and as I was driving down the road, I passed this palm reader. Y'all seen, seen these signs? Palm reader. Come in, and for 10 bucks, we'll tell you your future, all right? And I just started laughing at that. I was like, this is that ridiculous. And I kept driving, and the more I drove, the more the Holy Spirit said, why don't you go back and talk to her and tell her her future? And I was like, well, that, that would be interesting. And I just kept driving. You, you know how it is. You know how we're disobedient sometimes. And then, really, the Lord just like, you know, and I thought, you know, there was a time. There was a time in my zeal, in my enthusiasm. Hannah, remember the Buddhist temple. There was a time that I would have turned that car around and went right back. And I did and went and shared the gospel with a Buddhist monk. So I got down the road about five, ten miles, and I just gave up. I said, God, I'll do it. And so I turned my car around. I went back. I pulled up to that palm reader. I walked, knocked on her door. And right before I did, my heart was pounding out of my chest. I remember it as if it were yesterday, and my Bible was sitting in the back seat of the car. And I looked directly at the Bible, and I looked up to heaven, and I said, God, I want to take you at your word. You told me in your word, do not fear, be faithful. I said, so help me. <laughs> Please help me. And I went in, and it was the coolest thing. I mean, we argued. It was so fun. We debated with one another. She said, let me ask you a question. I said, go ahead. She said, are you a preacher? <laughs> I said, I said I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I got to share the gospel with her. And it was one of those moments where you take God literally at His Word. So I want you to do this week. 
When God puts you in a tough place, by the way, God will put you in tough places, not because you've done anything wrong, but because He wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to test you. He wants to refine you. Remember, He told them, He said, listen, in 10 days, well, for 10 days, you will be incarcerated. You will literally suffer for 10 days. The devil will put you there, and he will test you. But I, I believe Jesus is telling you, listen, I already know about this, and I want to do a greater work in you. Man, I've studied that text, and I've read, and I've studied other people. And literally, most people believe that it's just take it as it is. That Jesus said, you're going to suffer for 10 days, and they were going to be incarcerated, put in prison for 10 days, and they were going to be tested, and that's what happened. So this week, when you come up against a prodigious foe, when you feel like things are going bad and you just need a word from God, just, just do this. Say, okay, God. I'm going to test you at your word. You said for me not to fear, but to be faithful. That's what I'm going to do. So help me, O Lord. And I tell you, he'll come through. He always comes through. So the first command is, let us stop being afraid. The the Greek word there is phobios. It's where we get the English word phobia. Let us slay this hideous beast of fear and go forward and do whatever God wants us to do. And in their case, he said... I do not fear the things which you are about to suffer because some of you are going to prison and you're going to be tested. You know, isn't it a horrendous way to live with fear? You know, I was raised in a home where, with an alcoholic father, if you looked the wrong way or if you said the wrong thing or if you made the wrong gesture, literally, I, I mean, one time I literally made a wrong gesture. And I, mean, I, was, I was attacked. I, mean, I don't know how else to say it. Physically, verbally, it is a horrible, horrible way to live. Some of you have lived like that. And some of you know what it means to live in trepidation and fear and that, man, you don't know when the other fist is going to fall and you don't know where maybe this person's going to say something harsh to you and you just walk around. And I'm telling you something, God does not want you to live like that. God wants you to live in faith and in victory and in power. So the next time you're facing that difficulty, you just say, in Jesus' name, I'm calling you, God, to be true to your word. You told me, stop fearing and to be faithful, and that's what I want to do. And I want to give you some scriptures. These scriptures mean a lot to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be set on high. The Bible also says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ferao is the word. It literally means to post sentinels, to post army men at the perimeter of your heart. When you trust God and you're praying to Him and you're saying, Lord, please help me, please come through, God says, pray about everything, don't worry about nothing, and I will come through. Let me, let me give you one more verse. I love these verses. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of, somebody help me, fear or timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Hey, listen, don't be afraid. God knows what He's doing. And if He allows you to go through a test, He allows you to go through a trial, you have to trust Him. The devil will mean it for your detriment. The devil will mean it for your harm and for your pain. But God, as only God can do, God will work it out for your good. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Remember this verse? talks about just, listen to this, rejoice. Just rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to praise and honor and glory at the apocalypsis, at the unveiling, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Endure. Don't be fearful. Don't be dominated with the spirit of trepidation and worry and fear, but in faith, trust the living God. In fact, Jesus is telling him, say, listen, guys, I'm telling you in advance. What does that tell you about Jesus? He's so omniscient. He knows what they're about to face. He knows that some of them are about to go into the very, the very pit, the very jail, the very prison. And he's saying, don't fear. Don't even fear that. But number two, be faithful. Whatever you do, just be faithful. This is a present middle imperative, a good translation where the emphasis is on the subject. You yourself, okay? You yourself be faithful is what Christ says right there. Be faithful unto the very death. Somebody put it well when they said, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's moving on in spite of it. That's a good word. Courage, faithfulness is not the absence of fear, but it is pressing on in the middle of it. Boy, if there is a message that we need to hear, especially as the church of the living God, the triumphant church. We need to hear this word, to be faithful in our witness, in our communities, in our marriages, in our churches, in our jobs, in raising our children, whatever we put our hand to, to don't fear, but to be faithful, trust God. I tell you, if there is a sermon that my wife preaches to me almost on a daily basis, she says these words, she says, you be faithful, you be faithful faithful. You get up there and you preach the Word of God. Some of you men are looking at me like, no, she, your, your wife doesn't talk to you like that. Yes, she does. She says, you be faithful. Don't worry about anything. As long as you're preaching the Word of God, God will take care of everything else. I tell you, that's a great word. That is a very good word. Thank you, dear. And the other phrase, she says, and do the best you can. Do the best you can. Be faithful. I read a story out of this great theological journal, Sports Illustrated. And um, it's a great story about uh, a lady by the name of, of, interesting last name. Her name is Diane Epi Akins. And she was the lacrosse head coach at Loyola there in Maryland. And she was 40 years of age. She had four children, and from 1998 to 2002, I mean, her life was horrendous. She had brain cancer. She had two surgeries, multiple chemotherapy treatments, multiple radiation treatments. And from 1998 to 2002, she still maintained her full-time job as a coach at a Division I, two, a Division I school, but in 2002, in, in, in January, she went back to the doctor, and he said, he said, it's, it's come back. And he said, it's at the brain stem. I cannot do anything. I'll give you just a couple months to live. And she said, okay. And she went to her students, to her team, to her team. And she said, ladies, I'll tell you, my, my health is, is, is going downhill again. She said, in fact, let, let me tell you what happened to me recently. And she told them this true story. She said, I was in my home alone, and, and I fell. It's because of this brain uh, tumor. 
at the base of her skull. She said, I fell down. She said, I had no help. I could not make it to the telephone. She said, I I really was fearful that I was going to die right there. She said, I began to crawl, literally pull myself to the telephone, and I passed the cat's water. And she said, I took that cat's water, and I drank the water and put it down, and it gave me enough strength to make it to the phone so I could call for somebody to help me. Well, her teammates, those girls, they were just in tears. And then one of them said, man, we got to do something about this. And so here's what they did. They said, for the rest of the season, we're going to get T-shirts on them, and at the front, we're going to say, perseverance, and on the back, they're going to say, meow, meow, like the cat. And so that's what they did. And she got really, really sick toward the end, and, and this is what, this is the words that she wrote. She said, I have two goals now in life, to get to the final four and to see my son Michael and to see him graduate from high school. And both of these events happen in May. How do I face each day? I wake up to the sound of my kids. I wake up to the sound of my kids cranking up the stereo. Then they run into my room and they sing and they dance around my bed. I try to be as positive as humanly possible, and I thank God for one more day to be with the people that I love. As I tell my players, you can find inspiration no matter what you are up against. End of quote. She lived till June. She got to the final four, by the way, lost to the eventual national champion, but she made it to the final four, and she watched her son walk down the school aisle there for his high school graduation. Don't fear, but be faithful. And Jesus said, listen, be faithful even, no matter what you're going through. And for some, it would even take your life, but be faithful even unto death. Commandment number three. And all of these are found right there in verses 10 and 11. Commandment number one is do not fear. Commandment number two, be faithful. Commandment number three is listen. <laughs> you know, I love it when the, when, when the Bible does this. It's like, okay, have you been listening? Listen carefully to what I'm telling you. Every time in these seven churches, Jesus tells them to akuo, to listen carefully to what he is saying. He says, he, if you have an ear... Then hear. By the way, everybody's got ears. Two ears. You know, one mouth. Listen more, speak less. But you got ears. And he says, listen, everybody that's got an ear, that would be all of us, then listen to what the Holy Spirit says unto uh, the churches. And I want to personalize that for some of you today. I want you to listen to what God is telling you. Maybe God's got a, a big assignment for you, and he wants you not to fear, but he wants you to be faithful. Uh, I met a fine gentleman uh, from Dallas just this morning from Prestonwood Baptist. He's visiting our church, and he's here, and his job is transferring him from Dallas to Austin. And he's sitting by himself today, but he has a family, and they're making the transition. And, and maybe he's here today to hear this message. Don't fear. Be faithful. Trust God. Listen to what God is telling you. And really, do, <laughs> good words, Ashley. Do the best you can and just be faithful. Okay? Three words. Of command. Now let's look at these promises. Oh, these are powerful promises from Jesus. He gives us two promises in these two verses, verses 10 and 11. And before I give them to you, let me, let me just preface it with this, um, with this passage of Scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because I think it will encourage you and it will prepare you to receive what Jesus is about to tell you specifically in this text. 
He says, for our light affliction, it's but for a moment. And it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our momentary light affliction, it's only preparing us for this eternal weight of glory. So think about the future and think about A as the crown of life. Jesus said in verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you, now notice the definite article, the or the crown of life. The Greek word there is stephanos. And it literally means, thank you, Kristen Turkelson, it literally means the victor's crown. If you're a Steve or a Stephanie or a Stephen, you've got a beautiful name. You've got a rich name. It literally means the victor's crown. And it really, what Jesus is saying is heaven. When you persevere and you are faithful even unto death and you're not you're not compromised, and you're listening to what the voice of the Spirit is saying, and then you finish this life, and you enter into the presence of the Lord, and you receive that, that wreath or that victor's crown, the crown of life. Listen, guys, we are we're not operating uh, uh, from, uh, to victory. We are operating from victory. Jesus has already overcome, and we are moving forward to receive that eternal crown, that crown of life. Number two, he says, I make you a promise, you will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus says, you will, and, and, and again, the, the, the way it's constructed in Greek is, is very, very strong. A good translation is, you will never by no means whatsoever. Did you catch that? You shall never by, by no means whatsoever be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death, we know what the first death is. The first death is something all of us taste. Unless Jesus comes for us in the rapture, then we are going to face the first death. Everybody will die. We will taste the raw stench of death. I mean, we will die physically. But the second death means to die spiritually. It means to die and to be eternally separated from Almighty God. Now, I'm not talking about extinction. I'm not talking about annihilation. I'm talking about an eternal separation from a loving, holy, awesome, just God. And we go to hell because we reject Him. We live the life we want to live. And then we pay the price for eternity. And Jesus said, when you know me, though, and when you love me, and and you're walking with me, you don't have to fear that. You will, that you will never by no means whatsoever will you experience the second death. I heard one person put it this way, and I just cannot improve on it, and it goes like this. Those who are born once die twice, and those who are born twice die once. Did you get that? Let me say it again. Those who are born once, they die twice. If you're only born physically and you're not born again by the Spirit of God, then you will experience physical death and spiritual death. But if you're born twice, born physically and born spiritually, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, born twice, then you only get to die once. That's good news. And Jesus said, you will never, no, no, never whatsoever, will you taste this second death, this eternal separation from me. What a good word. Reminds me of Psalm 23, 4, where the psalmist says, And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they really comfort me. Last week I told you that I wanted to share with you one of the most remarkable stories in the history of Christendom. I, re- I remember as a young seminary student just being enthralled with this story, and I'm going to take just a few minutes of our time and close my message with the story of the martyrdom of the pastor of Smyrna. It's a true story. It's a man by the name of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of none other than the very man who wrote this book of Revelation, John. So John mentors the disciple who becomes the pastor there at Smyrna. His name is Polycarp. And I want to read some of these excerpts. This is from Henry Bettinson's excellent book, Documents of the Early Church. And by the way, if you you like academics and you like original sources, you need to get this book by Henry Bettinson, uh, Documents of the Early Church. And And he is a beautiful description of a letter that was sent from the church of Smyrna describing the death of their pastor. Polycarp withdrew to a small estate not far from the city because they were after him. The police were coming for him and his church members would take in their aged pastor. And by the way, Polycarp is in his 90s, okay? And they took him and they would put him in this one estate and then, the, and then they would find out where that was and they would come to get him. And so he was, he was a man on the run until he had a dream. He had a dream that the very pillow his head was on was engulfed in flames. And he felt that God spoke to him through that dream that you're going to die the death of a martyr through fire. So finally he said, guys, I'm, I'm not running anymore. And they came for him. And they came in the room. And there was Polycarp, 90 plus years of age. And he said, gentlemen, I'm not running anymore. He said, in fact, and these are the police that are in the home. They said, gentlemen, why don't y'all sit down for a few minutes and let us give you something to eat let us give you something to drink for your journey. And these big, robust Roman soldiers sat down, and the church fed them a meal before they took their pastor to be executed. And Polycarp says, listen, while y'all are eating, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go upstairs. You don't have to worry. I'm not going to jump out of the window. I'm 90-something years old. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go up there, and I want to pray to the Lord for an hour if that's okay. And they said, sure, if that's what you want to do, we're going to eat. Two hours passed by. After the first hour, they, they go check on him, but they couldn't touch him because he was just in the Spirit of God. He was praying with arms raised, and they were like... And then they had this thought. They said, why are we coming for such an honest, innocent, venerable old man? But the story continues that they did get him. And they took him to the proconsul. And the proconsul there, Smyrna, from Rome... He said, I want to personally interview you, and I want to talk some sense into you, old man. So he took Polycarp, and he put him in a room, and he said, listen, the stadium has found out. The city is full of people. They know that you have been arrested. Here is all you have to do. If you will just say these words, listen to me now. If you will just say, Caesar is Lord, that's all you got to say. If you will say that, I will shut this whole thing down. I will tell that frenzied mob, you can just go on your way because Polycarp is one of us. And he said, and and while you're at it, why don't you just say, away with the atheists because you're you're from a group of atheists, Polycarp. You don't believe in our gods. And so all you got to do is say, away with the atheists. 
Caesar is Lord, and you can go on and live the rest of your life in ease and in comfort. And Polycarp, he did something pretty interesting. They said, swear by the genius of Caesar, repent, say, away with the atheists. And Polycarp looked with a severe countenance on the mob of lawless heathen in the stadium, and he waved his hand at them, and he looked up to heaven, and he said, you are the atheist, away with all of you. And they knew, he knew, that was a death sentence. And the proconsul said, swear, swear, and I will release thee. Curse the Christ. Curse his name, and you shall live. And this is a famous quote. I think any seminary history education, you will get this in seminary. You know, I used to teach. I said, some of y'all don't know me very well. I used to teach in seminary. He said, well, why don't, you, why don't you teach seminary? Why do you pastor? Because my class just got a little bigger. That's, that's just the way I look at it. So y'all get an education every Sunday. You get a seminary education, hopefully, every Sunday. Eighty and six years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So they take him. I don't, I don't need this. I know what happens. One of the most remarkable things. True story. They take him. And now the crowd is going ballistic. I mean, they are demonically in a frenzy. It is packed. He walks into the arena, and they just going, going wild with excitement. There he is. There he is. And they're calling him all these names. You are the leader of the atheists. You are the one that hates the Caesar, and you're this horrible pastor. And, all, and they're just giving it to him. And they come to tie his hands because they're going to put him at the stake. They're going to burn him alive. And he said, no, you don't, you don't need to tie my hands. He said, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Just, just bring it on. Just do what you have to do. And so they put him at the stake. And it's a pyre, P-Y-R-E, and there's wood all around him, and he's standing next to this pole like this, and they set the wood to flame, and, it, and the flames erupt out of this dry timber of, of wood, and the flames erupt, and the crowd's going crazy until, until they saw the flames would not touch him. They literally built a vault. A vault of fire was surrounding Polycarp, and he was just sitting there smiling because <laughs> it wouldn't touch him. The flame would not touch him. So the proconsul looked at the executioner, and he went in, burned himself with his dagger, and he thrust Polycarp in the side. Blood poured out, and here's what happened. The blood extinguished the flame. The flame went out immediately. Polycarp bowed his head, he lowered his lie, he died, and a dove, a physical bird, a dove flew from the place of his martyrdom. That's what happened to the pastor of Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. They had a history of suffering, and even their own pastor suffered. Man, I'd like to think if it comes to that in America, and it may, it, it may very well come to that in America. Say the president is the Lord. Say, the Senate is your Savior, and, 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 and I, I hope, I hope I have the spiritual wherewithal at that moment to say, I cannot do that. You can take my life, but I, my allegiance is stronger to King Jesus. And so Jesus says, well, let me encourage you. 
Don't even fear that. Be faithful. Listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. And here's what you get. You get a crown of life that fadeth not away. And you get to be with me forever. I, you, 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 the second death will not touch you because you will be in my presence forever. Some of you are here today and I'm speaking to you. And, and I'm concerned for you because... Some of you are on your way to dying twice. You're going to die once physically, and then you're going to die again spiritually, and you're going to be separated from God. You're going to be separated from His people, from the angels of heaven. You're going to be separated from your loved ones who love Jesus, and they've gone before you. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is, before you leave today, would you say this? Would you say, Jesus, I want, I want to serve you. I, I want to be your servant. I, I want you to come into my life. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so before you leave today, say, God, save my life. Come. In fact, you can pray a prayer. It's very simple. It can go something like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm yours. How about that? It, within those words, I'm yours, you are repenting of sin. You're placing your faith in Him. You're giving up allegiance to your life, and you're giving your life to Him. I wonder how many of you are willing to do that today. I wonder how many of you are willing to say, now not just a head knowledge, but a real heart knowledge, a volitional knowledge, my will, everything within me, I'm, I'm giving allegiance to Jesus Christ, I'll be glad to be baptized, I'll be glad to come do whatever I need to do to serve the King, because now I'm a follower of Christ. Some of you today need to go public with the Lord, and I love talking about baptism, and what a beautiful sight you saw today as this whole family was baptized, and that's the next step of obedience. When you publicly declare your faith, you unashamedly go in. What a beautiful picture of baptism. Daniel, you did a splendid job. You lower them into the water, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. I wonder if there's another UT student that needs to do that today. I wonder if there's another child or maybe an adult that needs to do that. Literally, come forward and say, I'm ready to follow Christ in believer's baptism. I'm not ashamed of Him. And I'm willing to serve him. Others of you need to be a part of this church. If not this church, amen. You need a church. You need a body of Christ. You need accountability. You need a place where you can belong. You can have friendships and fellowship, koinonia. Some of you need to come and be a part of our church. But lastly, and this is something God just keeps burdening me in my heart. There are young men and young women in Austin. If this church, you need to surrender to the Lord and be his preacher, and be his missionary, and be his children's pastor, be his student pastor, be his college minister, be whatever it is he wants you to be, and just surrender to the Lord. I can't wait. I, I'm, we're lining up these mentoring opportunities for some of these young men that have surrendered to the gospel, and I cannot wait to meet with them and encourage them. So let's bow our heads, and let's pray, and we'll have our time of invitation. With everybody's heads uh, bowed and your eyes closed and, and nobody moving around unless it's just absolutely an emergency, if you would just enter into a time of, of prayer with me because as soon as I finish this prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. We're going to invite you to come. We're going to invite the pastors, if you guys would go ahead, and counselors, would you all go ahead and make your way uh, near the front as we prepare to receive anybody and everybody that would come. And your decision today, you, you may just need to come and have somebody pray with you because you are struggling with fear. You are paralyzed. You are paralyzed by this emotion of fear. And you know it. And you know you need victory over it. And you hear the Word of God say, do not fear. 
Be faithful. Listen to what Jesus is saying. So why don't you come? When we stand in a moment, you may just look to the person next to you and say, would you go with me? I just need somebody to pray with me. I need to slay this hideous beast called fear because it has wrapped its icy tentacles around my heart, around my dreams, around my mind, and I cannot shake it. I live in fear. I live in worry. I live in doubt. Would you, would you pray with me that this Jesus, this God, this one true powerful God would break the stranglehold of fear on my life? So, friend, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to come and allow one of these men of God, allow one of these women of God, these pastors, allow one of these counselors to take you by the hand and say, let me pray for you. Let me encourage you that there's victory, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Others of you today, we'll, we, we will wait on you. We're excited for you. We want you to come. We want you to give your life to the Lord. We want to help you. We want to disciple you and encourage you. So, Father, today we come with bold expectation, we thank you. We thank you, God, for those who have gone before us. Thank you most of all for the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for this time by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just something magnificent, something miraculous happens as we stand in your honor. And Lord, many, many will give their lives to you. Many will go to a different level of commitment for you. Some will say, Holy Spirit of God, fill me and so control me that my language, my life, my activities, my everything about me changes, and now I'm a radiant follower of Christ, and I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed, Jesus. I will bear witness for you. I will be willing even to lay down my life for the cause of the gospel. Father, I pray that you would do that kind of work in our church, in our midst, even this morning, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. We got pastors and men of God here at the front. Be happy to pray with you, encourage you. Terry's going to lead us. As soon as they start singing, I, I don't want you to delay. I don't want you to hesitate. You just come and you do business with God. Whatever it is He's put on your heart to do, would you come? Even now.